We're in Genesis chapter 31, verses 36 to 44 today, and we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis. And today we're going to look at the pathway to peace. And so in Northern Ireland, there's a city that's so divided, part of the population calls it Londonderry, and the other uh, calls it Derry. In this city, Protestants live on the east bank and Catholics on the west bank. Many don't like to mix. So one of the solutions was to build a bridge. The 900-foot square uh, a bridge, foot bridge curves like a snake and is for walkers, joggers, and cyclists. They named it Peace Bridge. That's the actual picture of the bridge. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to build a bridge. They're trying to build peace. And so as I think about this pathway to peace, uh, I was in middle school uh, at the time, and <clears throat> I did something to another student on the bus that was wrong, and they retaliated. They had a right to. But then as I was leaving the bus to, to get off at my house, I did something in retaliation again, <clears throat> which was wrong. And so um, I was the newspaper delivery boy in my, in my town at that time, and, and I had to go uh, right by where this other young man lived. And so I was scared. So I got home, and I said to my dad, will you drive me around the, on the paper route today? And he goes, why? Why can't you ride your bike? And I'm like, well, you know, I kind of him hauled around a little bit. And finally I came clean with him. I said, well, I did this uh, to this other student on the bus, and I'm scared. And he, in his great wisdom, he said, no, I'm not going to drive you around. You're going to have to ride your bike, and you're going to have to figure out how to, how to bring peace, right? You're going to have to figure out a pathway to peace. <clears throat> and so I successfully avoided him for multiple days in a row. <laughs> riding my bike delivering newspapers. But finally the day came, right? And we had to talk. And so we did. We were able to talk and we were able to find a pathway to peace. You know, I apologize for what I did and, and shouldn't have done that from the start. And, and so we were able to have a peaceful resolution. But you know what? I've not always experienced a peaceful resolution or a pathway to peace with every situation in my life. Years, many, many years ago, I I uh, got together with an individual, and I was transparent and honest with them about some hard feelings I had toward them that they didn't know anything about. And uh, my hope was that through this, being transparent and humble and honest with them, that we'd be able to find a pathway to peace, and that I'd be able to experience peace in my own heart and mind. Unfortunately, that relationship has never found a pathway to peace. And in fact, the, the opposite happened when I was transparent and honest with them, it actually uh, created uh, just some uh, turmoil in that relationship that still remains. And so the pathway to peace requires both parties to be honest and transparent with one another. And when that doesn't happen, there cannot be peace. So have you all experienced a pathway to peace in a relationship? I want you to just think about that today. Has there been... One that you like, yeah, we were able to come to a resolution, right? We were able to talk things out, and we were able to find peace in that relationship that had once experienced turmoil. <clears throat> what happened to finally bring peace? Did you have to be honest with them? Did you have to be transparent with them? Did you have to either seek forgiveness or, or offer forgiveness? But maybe you're in, currently in a, a tumultuous relationship where there is no peace, do you need to be honest and transparent with that individual so you can begin the pathway to peace? 
right? Most of us don't want to live in turmoil. It's, it's horrible, right? If you're at turmoil with someone at work, it's like you wake up and you don't want to go to work. You have butterflies in your stomach. You're like, ah. If you're in a tumultuous relationship with a family member, like you're not looking forward to Thanksgiving in several weeks, right? You don't want to get together with the family. You're not looking forward to Christmas because I don't want to be with those people. You're like, how can we find that pathway to peace? Well, last week, Pastor Mark shared with us how Laban was honest and transparent with Jacob about his feelings concerning how Jacob snuck off without saying goodbye. Do you remember that? He knew that Laban was shearing his sheep. He was three days away. He's like, perfect, perfect time. I'm just going to sneak out of here and start heading back to Canaan because God told me to, right? And so he's got this three-day jump on Laban, and it's actually, it was actually a week before Laban could even start to pursue him. And so this week, we'll see that Jacob is honest with Laban about the feelings concerning his treatment over the past 20 years. As we'll see next week, the pathway to peace only happened when both men were honest and transparent with each other. The same is true for us. We need to be honest and transparent with each other if we truly want to experience peace. And that leads us to our big idea today, which is God is pleased when we are honest and transparent with others. And so let's just commit that to the Lord in prayer as we allow that big idea to kind of sink into our hearts and minds. Lord, we come to you today in humility. Myself especially, Lord God, I just humble myself before you today. I can't, I, I have no right to stand before your people and preach your word aside from the power of your son Jesus that lives within me. Lord, I am grateful for the privilege to share your word. I pray that today you would speak powerfully through your vessel. I pray that your people would hear your voice only. And that, Lord, today, through this message, there might be individuals here that will be able to begin that pathway to peace in the relationships that they're in. So, Lord, I lift it up to you for your honor and glory. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at three points today. Reprimand, review, and reprieve. <laughs> Reprimand is in verses 36 and 37. This is what we see there, if you'd follow along in your Bibles. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime, he asked Laban. What sin have I committed that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. And so we have to just review a little bit. He has blamed Jacob for stealing his household gods, right? And then he also said, you were deceptive in the way that you left. You didn't say goodbye. You kind of snuck off while I was out shearing sheep. And so we know from last week that Laban searched through all the possessions of all of Jacob's household. He began with Jacob's tent and then went to Leah's, then to the two maidservants, and then Rachel's tent. And Laban didn't find his household gods in any of their possessions. Now, it's not that they didn't have them. Rachel had them in hidden in the saddle of her camel, right? But Jacob doesn't know that. So he's um, rightly angry with Laban, and he confronts him. Now remember, as I just mentioned, Jacob's unaware that Rachel has stolen the household gods. So uh, in, in his righteousness here, Jacob took 
Laban to task. The Hebrew describes a quarrel or dispute. In Genesis, it refers to quarrels between groups uh, regarding rights to uh, pasturage, ownership of wells, and here possession of flocks. And so the quote-unquote dispute is a war in the pre-national arena. But God prevents physical conflict between Laban and Jacob. He, Jacob, turns the table from being, an acu- being the accused to being the aggrieved party. And so Jacob publicly confronts Laban in front of both families. He's like, you kind of did that to me. You kind of called me out, calling me, you know, a thief. And when now uh, I'm going to take you to task as well. He has a couple of questions he'd like answered. We see them here. The first one is, what is my crime? Basically, what Jacob is asking is, what property have I taken? What's my crime? What property have I taken from you? And this is appropriate because Laban did not find anything after his thorough search. So he's like, lay it out here for me. Show it to me. What property have I taken? And then what sin have I committed? Jacob is wondering, what law has he broken? You know, Laban was like, you kind of deceived me. You kind of left and didn't say goodbye. And Jacob is is wondering, what law have I broken? He was legally married to four women. The flocks he had, he gained legally. They were his wages. And the way in which he set up his wages was to prove that any pure black or pure white uh, sheep or goat that was found in his possession would mean that he stole it. But all the speckled and, and spotted and streaked ones were his wages. So it was really easy for them to determine whether he'd been honest, and he had been. So all of this flock was his. It was not Laban's. Then he says, what have you found that belongs to your household? This question comes after Jacob expresses that Laban has searched through all of his goods. The author has already told us that Laban did not find anything in his search, but Jacob's not aware of that. We know because we're reading it from the author, right? And the author gave us that heads up. But Jacob doesn't know this yet. He says, so what, what have you found that belongs to your household? And so uh, Hamilton says, Jacob's use of uh, pasha, which is the Hebrew word for crime, so Jacob's use of crime would challenge Laban to provide empirical evidence that J- Jacob is guilty of behavior that has fractured the peaceful relation between the two parties. He says, show me something. Show me evidence that I've broken peace with you. And so what we realize here is that God is pleased when we're honest and transparent with others. That's what Jacob is doing here. He's like, I'm coming clean with you. What have you found? What, what crime have I committed? What sin have I committed? And Jacob demands that Laban present anything that belongs to him in front of both families. And we see that these are the witnesses, the judges, the, and the jury. Laban's relatives are those who joined him in the pursuit of Jacob. We saw that in Genesis 31, verse 23. And Jacob's relatives would have been the family members who were with him, that traveled those uh, three days with him. <clears throat> and these two groups would serve as the judge and jury in this legal dispute. But there wasn't anything to dispute. There was no property that he had taken. There was no law that he had broken. Jacob was honest and transparent with Laban by allowing him to search through all of his goods, but his honesty and transparency didn't stop there. He basically unleashes what, has been, what he's been holding inside for 20 years and what could be considered a job-related exit interview. That's kind of how I looked at it. He's like, I'm going to share with you some of my grievances. <laughs> so, that's the thing I'm not so happy about working for you for 20 years. He says, let's review a little bit. And so look at verses 38 to 42. This is what God's word says. 
I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring your animals torn by the wild beasts. I bore the loss myself. And you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. Uh, the heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and at sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would, have simp- uh, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has, been, has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. And so we see this review, our second point today. Jacob provides this review of his 20 years, a 20-year career with Laban. He starts with the flocks. He says, listen, the sheep and the goats didn't miscarry. Now, that wasn't because of anything that Jacob did, but it was because God was blessing Jacob because Jacob was the covenant carrier. This was, talk to Abraham. You know, God said to Abraham, you know, every, your generations, your, your uh, relation down through history you're going to be blessed because of you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of you this is what jacob is experiencing he's experiencing the blessing of god and as laban uh, then is experiencing that as a result of having jacob in his service so like the sheep and goats didn't miscarry jacob had not eaten any of laban's rams he said i didn't take any of your rams for food for myself jacob absorbed the loss of any animal that had been torn by wild beasts this is significant because that's not, that wasn't normal in, in the ancient Near East. Wolke points it out. Jacob went far beyond the obligations later codified in the Code of Hammurabi. A shepherd was not usually accountable for animals that were attacked. We see that in Exodus chapter 22, verses 10 to 11. Listen to those words. If a man gives a donkey, an ox, or a sheep, or any other animal to his neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while, one is <clears throat> while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. So like if it happens and he's not watching over the animal at that point, he's not accountable for it. But here, Jacob's like, those that were torn by wild beasts, I absorbed the expense of that myself. Jacob paid for whatever was stolen by day or night under his watch. And it appears as though Jacob went, like I said, above and beyond what was expected of other shepherds. Jacob served six years for the flocks he now had, and he did not complain about the fact that Laban changed his wages often. That's what ten times means. It means he just changed it a lot. And then Jacob reviews the physical part of what he went through. He served and didn't complain about the weather conditions. He was consumed by the heat of the day and the cold of the night. Kyle and Dillich say this, It is well known that in the east, the cold by night corresponds to the heat by day. The hotter the day, the colder the night as a rule. And so he'd gone through a lot of physical stuff. He served a very little sleep, but never complained. There there were conditions during the entire 20 years that Jacob served in Laban's household. He said, this is is what I, the work conditions. And Jacob then reviews how long he served Laban for his two daughters. He served 14 years for Leah and Rachel. He served seven years um, up front before marrying Leah. By deception, right? And then he marries Rachel and serves another seven years on the back end for Rachel. 
So he talks about his family. Then he talks about his faith here in verse 42. Jacob is finally recognizing God's hand of provision and protection publicly. I don't know if he was doing that internally. We don't know because it's not written in Scripture. But here all of a sudden, he's publicly recognizing that God is in control. That God is providing for him, protecting him, sustaining him. So over the last 20 years, it seems as though he's been silent about his faith and the faith of his father and grandfather. And here, the fear of Isaac is just a rarely used name of God. And it means the object of fear and reverence. It can also be translated the dreaded one of Isaac. And Wolke says this could also be translated the awesome one of Isaac. That is the one of of Isaac who inspires dread. This is a unique epithet for God. The God who providentially provided for Isaac, as Laban knows, also providentially protects Jacob, as Laban is now learning. And God was with Jacob and provided for him. Jacob recognized that if God had not been with him, he would, be left, uh, he would have left Haran empty-handed, perhaps without his wives and his children, and definitely without his flocks. Jacob also recognized that if God had not appeared to Laban the night before to rebuke and caution him, Laban might have harmed Jacob when he caught up with him. He was angry with him. And Golden Gate says, He is the one who has seen Jacob's low position and the exhausting nature of the work he has done for Laban over those 20 years. He is the one who has given Jacob the ideas about breeding that led to his not leaving Haran empty-handed. And so again, God's pleased when we are honest and transparent with others. That's what Jacob has done here with this review, the review of the last 20 years. And so how does this apply to us? There's two principles that are important for us to think about from this section of the review. The first one is this. God sees and honors hard work and sacrifice. Jacob had worked hard for Laban and had been very honorable in how he handled Laban's flocks. He hadn't eaten any of the rams from Laban's flocks. He didn't bring any of the animals torn by wild beasts to Laban, but he uh, absorbed or bore the loss himself. Jacob paid for any of the animals that were stolen during the day or night. And God honored Jacob's hard work by doing several things, not allowing any of the sheep or goats to miscarry, sustaining Jacob in the heat of the day and the cool of the night, providing a flock for him, and protecting him from Laban's wrath. How about us? God sees and knows everything, so we cannot hide our work ethic from him. He knows if we're working hard. He knows if we're honorable in how we handle our work. He knows if we're going above and beyond what's required or if we're just doing what we need to do to get by. God still honors hard work today. Maybe you're ready to take that first next step today, and it's to work hard and and be honorable in how I handle my work. The reason why we do it that way is because we're not really serving our boss. Colossians, Paul's writing to the Colossians believers here, and he's using uh, the idea of the slave and the master. That, that kind of relates to us today in employee and employer. But this is what it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. So we need to, be, we need to work hard and we need to be honorable in how we handle our work. The second principle I see in here is that God is pleased when we honor him for his provision and protection. 
That's what Jacob did publicly, finally. He's finally recognizing God's hand at work in his life. He recognized that God had provided for him. If God had not provided for him, then he was certain that Laban would have sent him away empty-handed. God is the one who had given him insight through a dream about wages to, what wages to ask for, the streak spotted and speckled animals, as we see in Genesis 31, verse 10. Jacob recognized that God had protected him. If God hadn't rebuked Laban through a dream, he may have physically hurt Jacob. And God warned Laban not to say anything good or bad, as we saw last week in Genesis 31, 24. How about us? How have you experienced God's provision and protection in your own life? I want you to just take a, a few seconds to reflect on that. I'm just going to be quiet for just a few seconds. Just reflect on how have you experienced God's provision and protection in your own life? Has he sustained you in extreme weather conditions at work? Has he provided for you when you thought, oh, we don't have two nickels to rub together, right? Has he protected you? Maybe you're ready to take that second next step today, and that's to honor the Lord by thanking him for sustaining, providing, and protecting me while I work. Jacob has been honest and transparent with Laban through reprimanding him and reviewing how he served him. And what we see next is a softening of Laban and a desire to seek a pathway to peace. And that came as a result of the fact that God is pleased when we're honest and transparent with others. And so we see this reprieve in verses 43 and 44. Look at those verses with me if you would. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine, yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? Come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So reprieve is defined as a cancellation or postponement of a punishment. That's what Laban is doing here. This is what Laban could have done, right? As the head of the household in which Jacob served, Laban could have flexed his quote-unquote headship muscles and demanded that his daughters, grandchildren, and flocks return with him to Haran and just sent Jacob on to Canaan. So Laban spoke correctly when he said that everything was his. But what did Laban do? Laban conceded his defeat. He realized that his daughters and grandchildren were now part of a new clan that God had ordained. God was at work here. Jacob was the covenant carrier. He's returning to the promised land just as God had designed. Gangle and Bramer say this, it had not been Laban against Jacob for the past 20 years, but Laban against Jacob's God. God was ultimately in control. God is the one who told Jacob to return to Canaan. The third principle today is this. There is honor and recognizing defeat and seeking peace. Laban had to swallow his pride and sacrifice his rights in order to seek a pathway to peace. There may be times when we have to swallow our pride and sacrifice our rights in order to seek a pathway to peace. And we might need to recognize that we may be fighting against the Lord. That takes a lot of strength to say, you know what, I might be fighting against the Lord here and what he wants to accomplish. And so I need to swallow my pride and concede my defeat. 
maybe ready to take this third next step today, and that's to ask the Lord if I need to swallow my pride and sacrifice my rights in the current situation so I can seek a pathway to peace. Laban encouraged Jacob to make a covenant with him. That's what he said, let's make a covenant together between you and me. Where are you at today? Do you need to work hard and be honorable in how you handle your work? Have you honored the Lord by thanking him for sustaining, providing, and protecting you at work? Is God calling you to swallow your pride and sacrifice your rights in order to seek a pathway to peace? You know, as a body of believers, we, when we serve in the church, are we doing it with, the, with honor and with all of our strength as serving the Lord? Have we thanked the Lord as a body for sustaining, providing, and protecting us as we serve in the church? Do we need to swallow our pride and sacrifice our rights as we serve in the church so there will be peace. Peace doesn't always mean that there's not going to be turmoil. That's what this last illustration reminds us of. There once was a king who announced a painting contest. He was building a new palace, and he wanted the main entrance hall to be decorated with a large work of art, the king envisioned his kingdom as a peaceful land, so whoever's painting best symbolized peace would win a large cash prize. Over the next few months, hundreds of paintings arrived at the palace. The king decided on the top two. Before announcing a winner, he hung both paintings in the palace for public viewing. The first painting was of a majestic lake, so tranquil and still that the lush hills behind it were perfectly mirrored in its reflection. The sky was a brilliant blue with soft, puffy clouds floating above. Wildflowers bursting with color outlined the lake, and a family of deer calmly grazed in a far meadow. All who saw it felt peace and happiness. The second painting portrayed a tall mountainous, or mountain cliff, rugged and strong. A few small trees grew out of the cracks of the face of the cliff with gnarled roots clinging for life. A foamy waterfall angrily crashed down the cliff into the rocks, rocky land below. Above, dark, ominous clouds loomed, and in the distance, lightning flashed. Halfway up the cliff grew a small bush. In its branches, a bird sat in a nest, apparently warming her eggs. After several weeks, the king declared the second painting the winner. Confused and upset, the people asked the king to explain his decision. He said, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a state of mind. Those who experience peace have love in their hearts, even when turmoil surrounds them. Isn't that true? We can still have peace and love with turmoil all around us if we are being transparent and honest with one another as we seek that pathway to peace. And so I trust that God and the Holy Spirit are working in your hearts and minds this morning as we've heard from his word today, and as the worship team comes to lead us in the closing song, would you stand? Let me commit this word to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, the power of it. We thank you for how it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it, uh, you know, it separates even down to the marrow, Lord. We thank you that it can work in our hearts and minds and transform us. I pray that it would... Uh, that your word would not return void today, but it would accomplish what you desire for it to accomplish in the hearts and minds of your people. And so, Lord, we commit it to you now, and we thank you for this time we've been able to be in your house to worship you, to learn from your word. 
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.